0: You are, you always were, you always will be. And as we come to worship you, you invite us to crawl up into your lap. Because you're our Abba, our Father. We are your children. You desire to spend time with us. You desire to have a conversation with us. You desire for us to walk with you. So that you can share your wisdom and knowledge and more importantly, your love for us, to us. We're not worthy of that, but we're grateful for that. Even though we spend so little time doing it. We do come before you today because we are a needy people. We cry out for our brothers and sisters in Burkina Faso in the midst of the troubles there that are resulting in the killing of brothers and sisters. We pray for the work that's going on in the Ukraine by our brothers from Romania. And we thank you for their meeting the needs of the people and sharing Jesus Christ. We lift up the unknown churches in Florida and Carolinas that are damaged, but reaching out to those within their congregations and communities in the name of Jesus, showing your love for your people. And Lord, we lift up our needs within our body those that are sick that they need healing and encouragement those whose conditions cause them to watch us on the internet because they just can't come to church we pray that you would be with them today we pray for those that are grieving realizing our hope is in meeting again in your presence in heaven Lord, we pray for our church and its ministry, not that we be just coming together on Sunday, but sharing the word and the name of Jesus Christ throughout our week and our lives, that he would be seen in us because we are your people. We pray that you would touch our hearts, focus them on you, be with us now in this sermon that follows. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
1: Right, amen, amen. Well, we're so excited for y'all to be here to worship with us this morning. If children, if y'all want to head on to the back, y'all are dismissed y'all's time of worship um, upstairs. And so we've just got a few announcements um, that are going on inside of the church right now. Um, And so one of those is our child dedications and baptisms that are coming up. And so we've got a child dedication coming up on October the 16th, um, but then also on November the 6th. We've got a lot of babies, if y'all seen, um, around us, which is super exciting. And so we've got multiple dates. And so if that is something that you are interested in, um, in just dedicating your child um, to the Lord, then we've got some of those dates available for us. And um, me and Carson and Amelia are going to be in the October 16th one. And so we're super excited about that. But then we've also got baptisms coming up on October the 23rd. And so um, that's just an exciting time in our church with just young babies, um, with us having new believers that are wanting to follow in baptism. Um, but then we've also got this, our 50 days of prayer. Um, and so I hope that y'all have all gotten a copy of this. We uh, kicked off last week um, this 50 days of prayer that is leading up to our um, church's 50th anniversary. Um, and so if you do not have one of these and would like one, um, we've got them in the back. And so it's just a prayer, God. And so um we've been praying through uh, god's uh, for God's movement inside of our church, um for growing in worship. And if you grab yours today and start this week, we're going to start praying for our children. Um, and so we just would ask you guys just to grab one of these and just be taking some time every day just to be praying for our church as we're just leading up to this fiftieth anniversary, and just we just want to remember God's faithfulness to us. And so we're just wanting to pray through every single aspect. Um, of, our, of our church and just all the different ministries that we have. Um, tonight, our, our children are meeting from 5.30 to 7.30. Um, our youth will not be, and I need some extra prayers from y'all, because we are taking our kids camping this afternoon, um, and tonight, and then coming back tomorrow uh, at lunch. And so if y'all would please be praying for us, it's going to be a lot of fun, um, and we just love it because it's a great opportunity to just get the kids away from all the other distractions and just to be out in the woods, and that's my favorite place to be, uh, and just to open up the Word and just to spend time with them. Um, We also have our uh, live groups that will be meeting. Um, And so uh, we also have our kids' Christmas program. And so if you have a child that would be interested in that, we have sign-ups for that, and rehearsals are at 6 p.m. on Wednesday. And we also have our, I believe it's our Christmas choir, also starting at 6 p.m. this Wednesday. And so they're doing this on purpose. So if you have a child that wants to be in the Christmas program and you also want to be in the choir, then y'all can do both. Um, But if we do have any kids that are here, it's kind of expected for them to be joining in with it also. And so we have multiple roles um, for them to be a part of, and it's just going to be awesome. I'm super excited for it. Um, And so we've been talking a lot about life groups. Uh, The last few weeks we had Mark Higgins up here um, to kind of explain a little bit about it, and I just wanted to give you all a little bit of of my story with it. Me and um, Carson uh, joined a life group when we first got here, and we were meeting on Sunday mornings, and it's just awesome. Um, I don't know about y'all, but during the week you can get kind of beat up and and life can get really hard. And one of the, just something that brings me life is our life group on Sunday mornings, just where I get to meet with a bunch of other believers and just get to talk about our week, get to open up the word and, um, and just talk about the encouragement that we have in Christ. And so if you're not involved in a life group, I would just strongly encourage you to do it. I mean, it's just, life is so much better when we're doing it in community. And so if you're doing it by yourself, It's probably hard right now, and we're struggling, and so we need other believers to come alongside us and just to encourage us and point us to Christ. And so, speaking of my life group, we joined it with John and Liz Joyce, and John um, is an elder here um, and a missionary, and he is coming to give us the word today. Um, And so, John, you come on up and share what the Lord has laid on your heart, buddy. Thank you.
2: Let's just pray again. Lord, we, we pray that you will be our teacher now. We pray that you will use your word. We pray that you will meet our needs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm not used to this stuff anymore. Uh how do we react when life simply doesn't make sense? When it seems like God has left you, you hear God doing great things for other people, but your life is pretty much uh, disappointment and pain. Things just haven't turned out in line with your expectations. We all have certain expectations in life, and, and you find yourself in a place where it's just not working for me. Think about what Job must have felt when he lost everything he had, including his children. He gets this report from Job 1, 18 and 19. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they're dead. Job tries to respond well. You remember that epic statement he made? uh, Naked I came into the world. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave. The Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'd say that's a pretty good response. And while he's trying to deal with what he's dealing with... uh, He gets help from his wife. Job 2.7 Scriptures say, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And then Job took a piece of broken pottery and was scraping himself with it as he sat among the ashes. And his beautiful wife says to him, Why are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Another way she could have said that was, Dude, give it up. Your faith is wasted. God ain't around here anymore. Job is forced to struggle with a question that none of us are eager to face. On the worst day of my life when everything I treasure has been taken away from me can I trust God sometimes life is just really complicated and then Satan comes and he puts lies into your heart and in your he speaks into your ears and he tells you this Christianity stuff just doesn't work I mean look around look at local churches you know Christians seem to have just as many problems and hang-ups as non-Christians And he he just piles on. Friends, discouragement in the body of Christ is much more prevalent than we would care to admit. And on top of that, the Bible tells us that we have an enemy. Satan wants to destroy your trust in God. If you're a believer, the evil one cannot touch you according to 1 John. But still, if you lay down your armor, he can do a number on how you view God. He wants to destroy the unity in the body of Christ. He wants to separate you from every Christian friend you have. And ultimately... He wants to separate you from the Word of God. His strategy today seems to be pretty clear. Divide. Isolate. Destroy trust. I don't believe God anymore. God hasn't showed up for me. I I hate that term. I know some of you use that term when you talk to me and please forgive me. But we, we have this idea. We even sing, I'm not criticizing the song, but I'm saying, you know, a million ways that we can know that God loves us. Well, maybe that's some people's experience in life, but I've met a lot of people who that's really not their experience in life. And so what do we do with that? Peter addresses it in, first John, in uh, sorry, 1 Peter 5.8. Be alert, be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in your faith. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. Put on, I love when Sam here shares these verses in the prayer meetings. He shared it a few weeks ago. It was beautiful. Wish you all could have been there. Uh, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood people aren't the enemy people aren't the problem it's the rulers it's the authorities it's the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil There is an incredible unseen battle going on for your heart and mind every day of your life. That's a reality in this life. Paul, this guy who wrote much of the New Testament and who seems so motivated all the time, listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to to 11. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Check out what's highlighted. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever been there? Just want to die. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Notice the highlighted thing there. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in an answer to the prayers of many. Two things from this. Number one, sometimes God allows difficulties in our life so that we will not rely on ourselves, but on him. Everything in our culture is all about self-reliance, isn't it? Everything. This is what we exalt in America self-reliance the New Testament emphasizes God-reliance think about it and the other point we can participate to God, in God's kingdom work throughout the entire world by what? praying praying Do we see the challenges in our lives as an opportunity to rely on God? Do we allow our challenges to drive us to prayer? Or do they drive us somewhere else? We want to emphasize prayer as a local church in these coming up for our church's 50th celebration. So why not give ourselves afresh to prayer? Why not start praying more? Why not? Why not pray with your wife? Why not pray with your family? Why not pray with your friends? When you're around and you're talking about this, that, and the other thing, why not say, hey, let's pray together about that right now. Why not use prayer? It's part of the armor of God. James said the effect of prayer of a righteous man, can accomplish much. But for many of us, prayer seems to be the Hail Mary at the end of the football game. A man wrote, I didn't get his name, prayer is the highest calling of a believer. Satan laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Are you a praying follower of Jesus? Do you pray? Let's switch directions here. For most of the last 34 years, Liz and I have been um, having trouble with my notes here. We've been spending our time telling Muslim friends and neighbors that, they need to believe in Jesus and follow him. We've known that as we tell our friends these things, if they, if they listen to us, they will have peace with God, but they won't have a lot of peace in their social life. We knew that their lives had become more difficult and challenging the minute they showed any interest in the Jesus way. To follow Jesus literally meant they risked being cut off from their family and and friends who had supported them all their life. Life is already tough in one of the ten poorest countries on the planet. That's a given. But for our friends, following Jesus only made life on this earth more complicated. Just think about it. They were called names such as dogs infidels, traitors to their community. Our friends were always plagued by by three primary questions which most of us never even face as we decide whether we're going to follow Jesus or not. First question, if I follow Jesus, who will marry me? Second question, If I follow Jesus, who will help me cultivate my field and take care of my animals if I'm so blessed to have a few animals? You see, it's a communal society in West Africa, in these rural areas. Everybody depends on everybody else in the community. And the third question was, who will bury me? This seems like an odd one, but it's really the question that they asked. Who will bury me when I die? If I follow this Jesus way, who will bury me? We literally saw situations where they just left the dead person that died, just left him. Because in their mind, he's an infidel. And the Christians actually had to come alongside from other, another ethnic group and bury this guy it's very challenging and now today the insurgency has engulfed much of West Africa it's almost driven two million people from their homes you know we're upset about the border here and we throw around that figure and that is a problem Uh, but this is within the same country two million people have been chased from their communities in West Africa, this country that we work in, what we used to work in, where our friends are. Some have paid the ultimate price for their faith. Scripture speaks to these in Revelation twelve, eleven. They love not their life even unto death. I think of Doctor Elliot, who has spent the last six years in captivity I'm running around here with you guys enjoying the good life he's been separated he's in his 80s now separated from his wife separated from his adult children how do you deal with that I think of another friend Bob Larry met him, Dave has met him, Dave and Jolie. This guy was shot in front of his, his family, middle of the night. Think of a young friend that we were able to help teach the word. He dies at the ripe old age of 30. How would you like to be taken out at age 30? you got your whole life ahead of you. You're doing kids' ministry, teaching kids in a Muslim village how to memorize gospel verses. Giving these kids a chance to hear the kingdom of God. And at age 30, you get shot. Cal Ripkin has a book entitled, The Insanity of God. I think it's safe to say that if one lives in a majority Muslim community in West Africa, it almost takes a little bit of insanity to follow Jesus. It seems from an earthly perspective that if our friends follow Jesus, their earthly life will not become better. On the contrary, it becomes harder. So what about us here in Dalton? What about you? What about me? When following Jesus makes no sense, when our secret expectations with God go unmet, when it seems like God simply is not going to show up, we're praying, we're hoping, he never shows up. And your relationships are in shambles. What do you do? 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. In the book of Colossians, Paul also says a similar thing. He says, just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. When you first came to Jesus, how did you come to know him? There was some measure of brokenness in your life right you realized i need help i need god i i need to be saved and you put your trust in someone you've never seen because you believe it to be true walk by faith not by sight it helps me to focus on eternity do not love the world nor the things that are in the world instead focus on the fact that you and everybody you love is ultimately going to end up in one place they're going to end up in heaven with christ or they're going to end up in hell with the devil everybody eternity is the ultimate reality Jesus, you know, he talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. And when he talked about hell, one of the things he said, I, I can't get this out of my mind, he said, it's a place where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Lovely, eh? In this life, We as believers are called to live as pilgrims in this life. Our experience in this life, what we experience is not the ultimate reality. Heaven and hell are the ultimate reality. This life, this life that's so important to me and you, It's kind of like one of the, you know, we got this beautiful new thing here, this flooring. And, you know, you take one of these little planks here. It's kind of big planks. You take a plank and then you look at all the others. That's 70 years in this life. The ultimate reality is what's coming up. As Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his own soul?" St. Corinthians 4:17 and 18 adds more to this. For our light... now Okay, this is the Apostle Paul talking. This is a guy who was stoned for his faith. He was chased. He was hated by half the population, it seems like. He had a rough life, to say the least. But he describes it. He says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. And yet, in this life, this culture screams at us that the ultimate reality is now. It's what you're feeling now. This is what tempts us away from Jesus. The beautiful things in this world. We need to focus on the cross and the resurrection of Christ. This is the starting place. This is where the help comes. We need to keep the main thing in our life, the main thing. How do I know that Jesus loves me? We we go to all the wrong places to figure that out. We go to our life experiences. We go to other believers, we go to the church, we go wherever. And, and, and then we, we, look, we look at that and we say, well, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that, I can see God loves me. Some of us, like me, can point to those experiences. But even those wonderful experiences can fade. Even those, the most wonderful Christian... The greatest hero that you have can change. Those of you that are older have kind of noticed that. Every relationship that you have with another human being in this life can change. That person can change. What do you do then? How do I know that God loves me? God demonstrated his love for us when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. That's the proof. That's the unmovable. Everything, just about every other experience in life can kind of be, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Keep the main thing the main thing. The resurrection of Christ is the only safe place. Every other experience that you and I experience in life can be sinking sand. It can be a facade. It can change. Fathers, do, do you plant verses like God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Fathers, do you plant that into your kids now? I went over this with our children over and over again and I told them think life's kind of funny it's gonna ebb and flow it's gonna change people are gonna change you're gonna think this is my best friend forever and then boom things blow up and but this is it this is how we know Christ died he rose on the third day it's a historical event it is the truth everything else can change fathers plant now because life's tough and each of us we we talk about easy things we talk about how the georgia bulldogs did yesterday we talk about how baseball's going we can we, we, can, we can spend our lives, we talk with people about so many easy, safe things. But I beg you, are you finding some point, we want you to love people well, but in your love, in your acceptance, in your gentleness, at some point you need to be sharing the actual gospel, what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection on the third day. you got to get to that with your friends and loved ones? At some point, I'm not saying beat them over the head with it, but are you getting there with somebody? Are you actually sharing the gospel with another living, breathing human being? It can be a child. It can be an adult. I don't care. But do you land the plane with somebody? When when, when that's the focal point of your life, I, I, I know people that, you know, Georgia football is the focal point of their life. It's obvious. What's the focal point of your life? My life. Look at another angle. Consider Jesus' encouragement to John the Baptist. Uh, Luke 7, 18-23. And just to, to set the context for this, when this took place, uh, John the Baptist is in Herod's dungeon. He's, in, he's imprisoned at this point in his life. So John's disciples told him about all the things that Jesus was doing, calling two of them, He sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind, so he replied to the messengers, Go back report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Doesn't this sound like a funny question for John the Baptist to be asking at the end of his life? He's basically asking... Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one who was to come? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Because my life ain't turning out the way I thought it would. I mean, I don't know for sure what was in John's mind, but you you can kind of surmise that. This is John the Baptist who's asking this question, folks. I mean, John the Baptist was a dude. In the beginning of his ministry, do you remember when uh, Jesus, you know, people were coming to be baptized, and he's the one that called them out and said, you brood of vipers, who told you to flee the, the coming wrath? I mean, John the Baptist, he was, he had no trouble calling people out. And it's John the Baptist who said to Jesus when he saw Jesus coming, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Don't you think he had it? And and yet, here he is at the end of his life. Folks, all I'm saying is suffering can do a number on anybody's heart. Suffering can do a number on anybody's trust in God. Even John the Baptist, at the end of his life, alone in Herod's dungeon, struggled with discouragement, doubt. Are you the one who was to come? Are, is, it, is it really? And Jesus gives a simple Sunday school answer. I mean, look at it. Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. Tell John to think about what I've been doing. And trust me. The things Jesus has been doing were predicted in the book of Isaiah, which came hundreds of years before this time. And so he's basically saying, look at the promises in the word, and trust me, blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. I can hear people now. John. That's that's trite. That's too, no, that's that's too, that's too, that's too, too, too. This is what Jesus told the guys to tell John. And this was pre-cross, friends. Jesus hadn't died yet. But he knew, John the Baptist knew, this is the Messiah. At one point, at least, he knew it. And then he's struggling near the end. Wow. And guess how the story ends. Sometime after he gets the message, John the Baptist's head is cut off. Hallelujah. His head was delivered on a platter to this young, immoral lady who did the dance. And, it was pre- and then she presented John's head to her immoral mother. And that's the way John the Baptist exits this life. Seems insane. Seems like the bad guys win and the good guys lose. Another angle, consider how Jesus allowed his disciples to encounter challenging circumstances. Situations where they were just put on the spot. Situations which were incredibly challenging, incredibly awkward. Consider the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14. You know the story. Basically, there's 5,000 plus people. They're listening to Jesus teach. And the disciples come up to Jesus and say, hey, we got to send these folks home. Send them home. Let them get something to eat. It's getting dark. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. What if you were there? Larry, go feed 5,000 people. You give them something to eat. See, this is just Sunday school stories, right? But these things really happened. How would you have responded? Well, I'm sure there was some awkward silence. And then the disciples said, well, we got five bread, five loaves of bread and two fish. It's not enough, though. And he says, bring it. And he blessed it. And he did this incredible miracle. And everybody's happy and everybody's ready to, to set up a conference center. I'm sure if they had done conference, you know, we do conference centers today in our world. That, we would have set up a memorial. You know, we just, well, you know, I'm sure that's what they wanted to do. And the disciples were ready to reign. And then note Matthew 14, 22. This is incredible. It says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Just a question for you to consider. Do you think Jesus knew that there was going to be a storm on this lake where he told the disciples to go? Sure. He knew. He did it anyway. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Hint, hint, prayer. Is prayer a part of your life? Do you really pray? If you struggle with it, get with people who do pray. You don't have to participate. You can just sit back and watch. But we need to somehow learn how to pray. It was a big part of Jesus' life. He goes to the mountain. He he sends them out into danger and he goes up to pray. Later that night, he was there all alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Uh, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Oh, great. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified you and I would have been too. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Great response, Peter. Would you have responded that way? And he says, come. Peter got out of the boat folks he got out of the boat he walked on the water came toward Jesus but when he saw the wind he was afraid and beginning to sink cried out Lord save me immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him you have little faith he said why did you doubt apparently somebody correct me if I'm wrong In all of recorded history, only two men have ever walked on the water. Jesus and good old Pete. I would say Pete did pretty well. I mean, again, just turn it around. If Jesus were to tell you today, you're on a boat, and there's a storm, and all hell's breaking loose, and he says... Come to me. There's no way in the world my wife would jump into the water. (laughs) She's scared. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't do it. Do you think you would? And yet Jesus rebukes her. He says, Him, sorry, He says, why did you doubt? Why didn't you trust me? This all leads me to the conclusion we need to walk by faith, not by sight. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, to 7, He talked about the kingdom of God. It's such an upside-down kingdom. It's crazy. If you want to be great, serve. If you want to be exalted, humble yourself. Put others first. He said crazy things like turn the other cheek. Boy, that's pretty anti-American, isn't it? (laughs) Turn the other cheek. Love those. Who hate you pray for those who persecute you and then he said this really goofy stuff and in chapter 6 he's saying look at the birds God takes care of them do you think he can take care of you look at the look at the flowers in the field even Solomon in all his glory had done arrayed himself in such a way. If, if God does this for the flowers, will he not take care of you? It seems like his underlying question in this passage is, can I trust my heavenly Father? And again, it's unique to Christianity. Tim's preached on it. This is, the, to see God as a heavenly father, it's unique in world religions. But, but do you grasp it? Do you view God as your heavenly father who you can trust? Even when there's no earthly reason left to trust. The the year was 1989. Uh, Liz and I had been married for a little over a year. Micah was about three months old. We'd set up our home on the backside of the Sahara Desert. The nearest telephone post office and gas station was a two-hour drive. And no, we didn't have cell phones. Let that sink in a bit. We had two other couples working with us on our small missionary team in a Muslim section of the country. It was discouraging, oppressive, challenging. The work was really slow. It felt like we were just... We didn't know what we were doing. We had a special prayer meeting, and we prayed together in Jesus' name against any residual strongholds built up by the devil which might have been hindering this work. Because again, realize this community had never heard the gospel in their own language. Period. It had never happened. They didn't know a living, breathing Christian. Within a few days of that prayer meeting, all hell seemed to break loose. Our baby girl, Micah, was suffering from projectile vomiting like I've never seen before or since. It was horrible. Both of our co-workers were also struck down with serious medical challenges. We weathered that storm, it was traumatic, and then we resumed the work, and then Liz began to develop these really strange symptoms. And I won't go into it, but at the end of the day, after about a month, we went over to Nehemiah, the the capital in a neighboring country. And when the doctor examined Liz, uh, she was horrified and put her on a plane to Germany the very next day. Micah was still nursing, so she got to go along for the ride. Liz's internal organs were shutting down. Upon arrival in Germany, Liz handed Micah over to her mother and was admitted to a hospital. Micah needed to be bottle-fed from day one to the next. You know, nursing was over for her, bless her heart. Uh, two weeks later I flew to Germany to join my wife who was still in the hospital all of her organs were still enlarged the doctors still had no clue what was wrong with her I mean guys these are German doctors and I mean Liz she had a lot of attention because these doctors had never quite seen these symptoms before at least that's what they said two weeks in a hospital and they they didn't know what was wrong with her I got there two weeks later and when I saw the situation I just kind of resigned myself hey we're done This missionary thing, we're done. It's over. I was not going to make my wife go back to a place that had almost killed her. I wasn't ready to do that. But here's the thing, folks. For Liz, the thought of not returning to West Africa never even entered her mind. Her attitude was, and I'll quote on this, if we quit now, we're simply giving in to the devil and to fear. Those people in West Africa need Jesus. We have the good news. We, have, we can do it. We need to go back. I don't know what you call that. some people might say both of us were insane for going back I think she trusted her heavenly father she entrusted herself and she entrusted her little baby girl to her heavenly father how about you and me what risk Is your faith walk with Christ leading you to take? What are you risking to follow Jesus? What relationships are you willing to risk to be able to communicate with your friends that there is an eternal hell and we better run to Jesus or there ain't going to be any hope. Are you willing to trust even when life makes no sense? Even when it seems like utter stupidity? Will you trust your Heavenly Father? Consider Stephen's faith. We'll close with this. You know, Stephen could have made a good case before God that God had given him a raw deal in the ministry think about it Paul lives and preaches throughout the whole book of Acts even though in the beginning he's persecuting Christians Stephen on the other hand makes his entrance in Acts chapter 6 and he makes his exit in Acts chapter 7 his very first message he gives this long message you can read all about it in the book of Acts and then boom they're throwing rocks at him that's it Stephen was a great guy the scriptures say Stephen was known as a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit when he was being interrogated by the Sanhedrin they saw that his face was like the face of an angel I want to remind you how this wonderful man died Acts seven fifty four. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. As they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And you know, he became Paul. Saul was a horrible man. While they were stoning him, Jesus prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Doesn't that sound a little bit like, Lord Jesus, I trust you. And he fell on his knees and and cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And then when he said this, he fell asleep. That's Bible speak, for he died. As he exited this life, Stephen identifies with his Savior who sat on the cross Father, forgive them they don't know what they're doing Stephen died saying Lord I trust you and don't hold this against them I trust you and compassion for the people who were hurting him what a way to die but friends what a way to live can we trust Jesus can you trust Jesus on the worst day of your life no matter what happens down here because crazy stuff will happen down here we're just pilgrims passing through but may we all walk by faith not by sight
3: All my words fall short I've got nothing new How could I express All my I COULD SING THESE SONGS, AS I OFTEN DO, BUT EVERY SONG MUST END, AND YOU NEVER DO, SO I THROW UP MY HANDS AND PRAISE YOU AGAIN AND AGAIN. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I'm nothing else fit for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah. I just want move with my arms stretched wide, I will worship you, so I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, cause all that I have, Nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing Hallelujah
4: Hallelujah
3: So come on my soul don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. So come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion come on my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah, and I know it's not much, but I'm nothing else fit for a king, except for a heart singing hallelujah.
1: for day, God, we just thank you so much for the word that, brought, that John has brought to us, God. And we just pray, God, that you would just help us to live um, by faith and not by sight. God, that we just cling to the promises that you have for us. God, that we don't let life discourage us, that we don't let sin, Lord, our flesh, all these things take our eyes off of you, God, but that we just pursue you, um, Lord, with just everything that we have. God, we just, I just pray, Lord, for all of us that, Lord, that you would just help us just to go where you called us. Lord, I thank you for John and for Liz that you, they went where you called them. Lord, for Stephen, he went where you called him. Lord, I thank you for our Savior that he went where you called him. The Lord, while we were still sinners, Lord, you died for us. And God, we thank you so much for that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just help us just to live a life that's in response to that. God, that that we would ask you where our next steps need to go. God, that it wouldn't be us. Lord, that we would see a lost and dying world, God, and know that you're the only way that they can be saved. Lord, I just pray that you would just help us just to go. God, with everything that we have, that you would just help us just to go. and Lord, just to serve you with everything that we have. And so, Lord, we thank you for this morning for the reminder that it is. And Lord, let it not just be a reminder, but Lord, let us stake our lives on this. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And if y'all would, remain standing, and if you would raise your hands to receive the blessing from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, amen. Go in peace. Thank y'all for worshiping with us.